to be here and share the word of God with y'all. Uh, it's been it's been a joy uh, to just hear other people from our church uh, preach through the book Colossians. I've learned a lot about the word of God uh, through guys like uh, Pastor Mike and, and and Rob and Larry and people like that. And uh, it's really an honor for me to shut things down in this book. So let's turn to the word of God in chapter 4. And I know that I'm assigned to verses 10 through 18, but I'm, but I'm a little greedy. So, so I like to look at verse 7 through 9 as well. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you know me, I, I overstep my boundaries all the time, okay? So uh, I'm just doing it again on the pulpit, so bear with me. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. Uh, and you'll understand why I would like to look at verse 7 through 9 uh, prior to verses 10 through 18. Uh, Brother Mike did a masterful job last week, but uh, the two characters mentioned uh, in these two verses, uh, I, I definitely want to take a, a closer look at. So let's look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. And the title of today's message is Radical Relationships. And uh, I'm biting off of Larry, right? A couple weeks ago, he had a resurrected relationship. So I was like, all right, we're just going to play on that. Okay, on verse 7, it says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Trifecta, right? Look at, look at those superlatives. Um, and, and Paul goes on to say in verse 8, he says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, Greece you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So these are Jewish men that he has made a shout out to, okay? And then we see a transition. Verse 12, Epaphras, who was one of you, or one of y'all, he's, he's a Gentile, right? He's, uh, he's a Greek, he's not a Jew. He was one of y'all, a servant of Christ, Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Herapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And some of you guys are wondering what, what this letter is. It was probably the book of Ephesians. It was probably the epistle of Ephesians. And in verse 17, as we wrap up, it says, Paul says, And say to Archippus, 
See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let us bow our heads and ask the Holy Spirit for help. Lord, we thank you for this time where we can be together. We're all doing our own thing throughout the week. But on Sunday morning, we are one. One spirit, one mind, one Lord, one baptism, one Father, one Christ, who is all in all. Thank you that what separates us this morning um, is nothing. Whereas throughout the week, we are constantly comparing and contrasting and dividing. But, Lord, we thank you that we can rest today in your finished work. Jesus, thank you that it is finished. Lord, may your good news be our delight and also our very anguish to love a broken world and, and to pray that you would raise the dead. Raise our own lives up so we will make much of you, O oh God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In 1976, during the Special Olympics in Seattle, Washington, there were nine contestants lined up start at the starting line for the 100-yard dash. Remember, it's the Special Olympics. At the sound of the starting gun, they all started off on their own way, making their best effort to run down the track toward the finish line. That is except for one young boy who stumbled soon after the start of the race. And he tumbled to the ground and he began to cry. Two of the other racers, hearing the cries of the boy who fell, slowed down and looked back at him. Then without hesitation, they turned around and began running in the other direction. Not toward the finish line, but toward the injured boy. While the other contestants struggled to make it to the finish line, the two who had turned around to run the wrong way, you could say, reached for the boy and helped him to his feet. And, and those three young boys, with tears running down their faces, crossed the finish line together. They crossed the finish line together. This is a picture I see when I look at how Apostle Paul closes this book. This is a very doctrinal and a very uh, uh, systematic and educational book, you know what I mean? But at the end of this book, Apostle Paul throws a tender moment, a touching moment, and an inspirational moment. And he wants these men to know, these partners in the gospel, I am rooting for you. I, I, I am suffering for you. I am with you. And we will cross the finish line together. This is what it means to be a church. That, I, I, that even if I am, I am ahead of you a few steps, or perhaps a whole lap, that I will turn around. I will slow down. I will even come to a halt so that we can cross this finish line together. Because we're facing the same horizon. 
We are a body. We must cross this finish line together. And that is, that is such a beautiful picture of friendship. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. These, when I titled the message Radical Relationship, I might as well call it Friendship. These friendships in the gospel that Paul had. The three uh, sections of my message today. One, the exhibition of radical relationships. The exhibition of radical relationships. So maybe I'm like taking you down a hallway, like a museum, and we'll take an observation. So I will show you the exhibition of radical relationships from this text. Secondly, the explanation of radical relationships, the inner workings, how it happens. Thirdly, the encouragement for radical relationships, the encouragement for radical relationships. What is the motivation? What is the motivation? So we'll begin with the exhibition of radical relationships. I can't help but to start at the end. You know, start with the... And these are like the credits at the end of a movie. And Paul closes out, I mean, I don't think Paul was trying to drop the mic or anything in any way. I don't think he, he's melodramatic like me. But Paul tells them at the end of this book, in chapter, in chapter 4, verse 18, he says, remember my chains. And maybe this is insignificant to you at this moment, so let me help you make it significant. Let me help you make it lucid. And, and preach to your heart. And not only does he say, remember my chains, he says, grace be with you. Grace be with you. I want you to understand that Paul is in his first imprisonment. He had another imprisonment which eventually ended his life. But this is the first imprisonment. And he is shackled. Okay? I have been shackled. I have been cuffed. It's, it's uncomfortable. But I'm sure what he experienced was far worse. And if you've ever been handcuffed or you've had chains on... It's, it's hard to write. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you can't write that well when you're handcuffed, you know? And Paul usually had scribes writing, uh, people that, like, like they're like, um, they're like a modern Xerox machine. They just copy down everything he said. And they were scribes. But at the end of this letter, he tells the scribe, hand the paper over to me. Hand the pen. Over to me, and in his own handwriting, in his own signature, he said he writes down. Remember, I write down. I write this down with my own hands. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And the chain clanged afresh as Paul took the pen to sign the salutation. He was not likely to forget it himself. You know, this line intrigues me. Because there is something so simple and so powerful and profound in that one line that has a way of challenging me as a friend, as a brother, as a partner, as a pastor in the gospel. And it is also encouraging. It's an encouragement to me at the same time. This is part of Paul's personal plea as the final part of his letter to Colossians. To summarize what Paul is saying in that, in those two statements is, He's telling the church in Colossae, when you go through difficult times, remember my chains. When life seems to be bringing you down, 
remember my chains. When you are not sure what the future holds, remember my chains. The best of friends to us will always be those who imitate Christ. The best of friends to us will always be those who imitate Christ. You know, we have a friend in a guy like Pastor Dan, don't we? Right? Who imitates Christ for us. And that's why we miss him. And that's why we adore him. And we look forward to him. And I know that a lot of us use other criteria uh, to, to differentiate and to ascertain whom our best friends are. But the Bible gives us a whole new paradigm and a, and a brand new principle or principles to what friendship should be. Some of you guys are married, and I want to ask you right now, how difficult was it to pick your groomsmen? How difficult, how arduous was it to pick your bridesmaids, your, your bridal party? If you are single today, you're not left out like me. Who would you pick, right? Ask yourself, who would you pick? Who would stand up at the altar with you? Uh, perhaps you've heard the question, name three things you would take with you while you're stranded alone on an island, right? I think that's a common question we ask. Is an icebreaker or some sort like that? But Paul is tweaking it. He's naming three or four people we would take with us on a stranded island. He, Paul is giving a shout-out. He is naming the names of the men that he might select. Now, Apostle Paul never got married, from my understanding. He didn't get married. But if he did get married, he's saying, these are the guys. These are my boys. This is my squad. And they will be standing up there with me. Do you, do, do, are there any, is there anyone running through your mind right now as you think about who your spiritual friends are? Okay? And if you can't think of anyone, then you really got to pay attention to this message. Even if you're tired and I see you yawning, okay? You really got to pay attention. You got to think about this. Um, see, what we see here in the book Colossians is um, it's a little cheesy, but uh, it's like a group photograph, right? It, and Paul is showing you uh, his championship team. And he's, he's going one by one. And he's expressing his, his love and his encouragement and his admiration for these people. Who, who have supported him while he was in jail. Now I want you to understand something about associating with people who are in jail. Okay, it's, it's not popular today, and it wasn't popular back then either. Right? I remember when I used to visit a friend in jail. His name was Scott. I used to visit Scott in jail. And I had people, even in my own church, ask me questions like, why do you visit Scott in jail? Right? Yeah, he deserved to be there. Unlike Apostle Paul to, you know, well, actually, Apostle Paul deserved to be there too. He was breaking the rules. <laughs> um, but for Christ, right? But my man, Scott, he, he, ain't, he ain't break the law for Christ. He broke the law for the love of money, right? So um, he was in jail, and I was visiting him regularly. And I, I didn't think I would get that kind of recoil or, or, or um, conflict. Or pushback. I was like, 
I'm just visiting my boy in jail. What's the problem? What the problem is? And, um, and I was guilty by association. And so for these men that Paul aforementioned, they were, quite, they were taking quite a social risk, maybe even an economical risk, to associate with Paul in jail. Okay? So I want you to understand the magnitude of this friendship. And Paul knew that all the churches would read this letter, including the village church. And how we should support uh, one another. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 through 12, you don't got to turn there, but just hear me out and hear the word. King Solomon says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil or work. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow brother. But woe to him, or it is terrible for him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. But a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. But a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know, I, I think when we read about Apostle Paul throughout the New Testament, we get this idea that Paul is the strong and silent type. Right? Like Paul is like really gangster, right? That's the picture I get of Paul. Like he's thugged out. But when I continue to read Acts and I read the epistles, I realize that there are hardly any instances when Paul is alone. Paul's not alone. He's hardly ever alone. He's always accompanied by somebody like Barnabas, right? Right? He's always accompanied by somebody. And some of y'all think that the Christian life is about just you and God. It's not just about you and God. It's not just about you and God. This is not just this vertical thing. It's a horizontal thing. Paul was never alone. That's the picture I used to have of Paul when he would go on his missionary journeys and go through his excursions and endeavors. I was like, dang, Paul was about it. Like, he just doing it by himself. Like, man. And so I thought the Christian life was like that, you know? Just, just me, myself, and I, and Jesus. Right? When I study Apostle Paul, I'm like, the dude was needy. He didn't like being alone. He might even be scared of the dark. And I'm like, that's what's up. He needed friendship. We were not made to be alone. Even in the Garden of Eden, the perfect paradise, God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. There was no sin. There was no chaos. There was no pain. Nothing hurt. Everything was beautiful. And yet God saw Adam alone. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. Right? So these were very special people in Apostle Paul's life. I, I, can't, I can't talk about everyone, but Tychicus stood out to me in verse 7. Uh, he is a man of unknown loyalty with a servant's heart. He is a man of unknown loyalty with a servant's heart. I think uh, if you wanted to put an epitaph on, uh, on his tombstone, it, it could read, People come and people go. The best will stay. That's a friend. Right? People come, people go. But the best will stay. 
I mean, I can't go through all, it, it, it would exhaust you, because it exhausted me just learning about it. But this guy was an errand boy for Apostle Paul. In the modern perspective, we will call him some uh, derogatory names. But oh, how he loved to serve the Lord by serving Paul. See, that's how, that's how, that's what friendship is. It's just obedience, right? Who's your best friend right now? Unfortunately, I don't have a best friend. But if you have a best friend, it just comes down to this. It boils down to this. He obeys me. She obeys me. She listens to what I say. She doesn't question me. She believes me. She trusts me. Right? He or she serves me. And I hope your wife or your husband is your best friend. Right? So this is not just for uh, single people. This is for married folks too, right? And, and, and this guy had a servant's heart. I mean, he went on some wild adventures with Paul. And there were no airplanes back then. There were no trains. So when we said, we're going to go there and here, it took months. And he went. You know, a few weeks ago, one of my dearest friends, his name is, uh, well, I call him Pastor Tay because he's more of a mentor. But he asked me to fly to Houston with him so he could, because uh, his family is relocating to Maryland. And he asked me to fly to Houston, Texas with him so he can get his stuff and then, and then take a, a U-Haul and drive it back to Maryland. And I was like, sorry, I'm busy. <laughs> That's a long trip, homie. Ain't nobody got time for that. Right? But I realized what a bad friend I was. Yeah, I, I couldn't even take a, a, a three-day trip with him. Four days tops, right? And, and Tychicus would, he, he, man, he just, he really played the, played the background. Man, he played the background. He was invisible. He was, he was like a prop in a, in a play, you know? And um, all you hear in the Bible is that he just served, and he stuck by Paul. And Paul says, I'm going to send him. And he was like an itinerant pastor. He would replace Titus or Artemis, right? So he was like, he was never a permanent plug, right? He, was, he just, like nobody wanted to marry him. People just dated him all the time. That's the kind of, that's the kind of condition he was living in all the time. He was always the best man or the, uh, the, the bridesmaid, right? Never the groom, never the bride, right? And that's the kind of guy he is. You know, uh, just to share one more thing, um, I've, I've been the best man of a wedding one time. And for me, it was revolutionary, not because I got to stand up there, but because I, uh, my friend John, uh, when he picked me, I said, why did you pick me? Because I've only known you for four years. And I looked at the lineup, and he's known these other guys for 15, 20 years. So I said, why you pick me? And he said, he said, because I picked you according to Christ. Not according to how close we are or how much we've experienced together or how much history you have, but according to Christ. We have a future together, unlike my other, um, my other groomsmen, because of Christ. There's things that we got to think about. Uh, Onesimus, uh, I, I, I try to just talk about him very quickly before I move on. But I got to talk about Onesimus because, man, he just, he, he's a man with a sinful past. 
I want to talk to some people out here. Or oh, let me just be let me just be frank. Everybody, <laughs> y'all, we all got a sinful past. And uh, Onesimus was a man with a sinful past. Uh, he was uh, a slave that ran from his master, Philemon. There's a book in the Bible, old te- in the New Testament, called Philemon. And Onesimus ran away from Philemon because I guess he was a harsh uh, master. And when uh, a runaway slave was caught, uh, he was executed. He was executed. And I think this country understands uh, that kind of treatment upon slaves. But Apostle Paul, uh, by God's divine providence, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't serendipity. It was God's divine providence. He ran into Philemon while he was running away. And he said, who's your master? And he said, I'm running away from Philemon. And Paul says, oh, I know Philemon. Mm, I know him. I led him to Christ. I got you. And so he, so he writes this letter to Philemon and says, I just led your runaway slave to Christ. And now I'm going to send him back to you. And you will receive him as a brother, not as a servant, not as a fugitive, not as a criminal. You will receive him as a beloved brother in Christ. And then I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, uh, Onesimus was like, that's a good idea. That's great. Okay, uh, I'll go back when the letter arrives. But no, Paul said, no, you take the letter. You, you, you're going to hand it to him. You know, Onesimus has a past, but the past did not define him. Nowhere in this epistle, nowhere in this letter does Paul talk about, yeah, I know he messed up, I know he ran away, he shouldn't have. He don't even mention it. He doesn't even mention it. He says, you know how he describes Onesimus in the book of Philemon? Paul says, Onesimus is my very heart. I love this man. He was once a slave, but now a brother. If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Church. If anyone is in Christ, what is he? A new creation. Yeah. Paul loved to see the past in the past. Salvation means much more than forgiveness. We do not simply have our slate white clean. We also become perfect in God's sight. In the gospel, because of what Christ has done, the past is the past. Paul saw a man with a past, and he saw Christ make him a man with a past. That was a past. And God can do that for you today if you're not a Christian. He can make your past the past. And we welcome you. We're going to take communion soon. We welcome you. Past. You move forward. The meanest circumstance of life, the greatest wickedness of our former life, makes no difference in this spiritual friendship. We all partake of the same privileges 
and are entitled to the same regards. There is neither Jew nor Greek or slave or free. We are all one in Christ, Galatians 3.28 says. I know I spent a lot of time on that, but I just want you guys to understand Paul's heart for these men. And I'm just going to run through the explanation of radical relationships, how it happens. There is a character of friendship. You know, how, how does this happen? What is friendship? The Bible, particularly, particularly the book of Proverbs, hear me out, spends many verses discussing and describing and defining friendship or these radical relationships. One of the core qualities of a friend is constancy, consistency. That is one of the core qualities of a friend, constancy. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 17, that a friend loves at all times, especially during adversity. The counterfeit is a fair-weather friend who comes over when you are successful but goes away if prosperity wanes. What every person wishes for is a bad-weather friend, right? Somebody's there. Real friends that stick closer than your own brother or sister. They are always there for you. A second essential element of friendship in the Bible is transparency or candor. You know, we use that term, real talk. Real talk. You know, sometimes we we preface or we we kind of uh, prepare people before we tell them the truth, like, um, can I be honest, right? We ask people that. And you know what we're preparing them for? Uh, we're like, I'm going to tell you how I really feel. I'm going to be candid. I'm going to be transparent. And, I, and, and I'm hoping that you still like me after I do this. Will you still like me after I'm transparent and I'm candid? Right? It's like, buckle your seatbelt. Right? I'm going to take you on a ride. I'm going to tell you what I think is truth, what I think is real. It, I could be wrong, but... I, I'm going to tell you, right? That is another element of friendship. True friends um, do not sugarcoat, and we do not speak with the anticipation of judgment. I'm always speaking with the anticipation of judgment um, when you're not my friend. Like, no disrespect, but, but no offense, right? And as a body of Christ, we shouldn't have to do that, right? We shouldn't have to preface everything. But um, but also in this transparency and candor, uh, real friends are like surgeons. They cut you in order to heal you. Real friends cut you up in order to heal you. Genuine friends become better, smarter, and wiser together through a healthy clash of viewpoints. So we see two features of real friendship. Constancy and transparency. And then we see a third quality in the Bible. And this one is uh, more subjective, um, but common passion. You need a common passion. Uh, just to summarize what I mean by common passion and friendship, C.S. Lewis summarized it the, the best. Um, the essence of friendship is what? You too? That's how all friendships start, right? right? What? You too? That, you, what's your favorite hip-hop album? Illmatic? What? You too? Right? What's your favorite flavor ice cream? What? You too? I thought I was the only one. Right? And that is something that happens 
in genuine friendships. Uh, C.S. Lewis says that erotic love is uh, two people uh, staring at one another, right? And wanting one another. But, but friendship is two people standing shoulder to shoulder, staring at the same object together and marveling at it, enjoying it, savoring it, and praising it. Friendship arises when two or more people discover they have in common some insight or interest. You know, when we ask the question, do you love me as friends? Um, it's, what we're really asking is, do you see the same truth as me? Right? Do you see the same truth as me? Or at least, do you care about the same truth as me? And that's why racial friendships could be difficult, and it is hard, right? And when you make different kinds of money, it's hard to be friends, right? It's hard to be friends. You'll notice that as you go on in life, that if you and your closest friends make different kind of money, that you guys don't hang out as much anymore. Because your truths change, or the way you see the world changes, right? And lastly, I want to close this time by talking about the encouragement for radical relationships. What do all these men at the end of Colossians have in common? Yes, they are friends, but what makes this friendship possible? Common vision and passion as Christians. Christians of every kind all over the country have experienced the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have all had our identity transformed at the root. We are, we, like Apostle John, we can say, I am the one whom Jesus loves. I am the one whom Jesus loves. I know this may sound very, very complicated and, and unbelievable, but I have more in common with you today, even if I don't know your name, even if I've never met you. I have more in common with you today than I have with my own mother and father and my younger brother because they do not know Christ. They are not facing the same horizon as me. I have more in common with you guys. Remember what Jesus said when when the disciples said, Hey, your mom is here. Your brothers are here. Your sisters are here. And Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? It is he who does the will of God. It is he or she who does the will of God. The encouragement for radical relationships is mentioned in Colossians 3 verse 1 through 4. If, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does this mean for the village as we close today? What I am trying to tell you, and what I'm asking you to do, it means that you have to go to community group. You've got to go to community group. I know you're busy. And I know you've got better things to do in your own mind. But you've got to live with the end in view. I'm not going to spend eternity 
with, the, with, the, with some of the people at the bar or, or on the softball field or basketball court. I'm going to spend eternity with you. And we must prepare. And we must spur one another on. We have to go to these community groups. Because I have more in common. With, with the, even though I'm not experiencing yet sometimes, I have more in common. Think about how awkward Thanksgiving dinner can be. And like, y- y'all came out the same womb. <laughs> you know, you got the same DNA, right? It can be awkward. And, you know, our f- family gatherings on Wednesday and Thursday or whatever day you meet could be awkward too. But you got to keep going. You got to keep at it. The glory of God is at stake. And we need to learn how to be spiritually transparent. Not only consistent and constant, but transparent. I mean, I want a friend that I can share my problems with lust or my problems with greed. And I don't have to worry about gossip. I don't have to worry about rumors spreading, right? You know what a friend is? Someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. A friend is somebody that says, the more you tell me, the more I will love you. And you know what our motivation is today, church? Jesus is not just your Lord and Savior and your big brother. He is your friend. Do you remember what he called Peter and the disciples after he resurrected? Remember, they walked out on him. He washed their feet and then they walked away. Remember what he calls them while they're fishing for fish, not men. Fishing for fish on the boat? Jesus says, friends. Friends. After everything they did to him. He says, friends. Do you have any, have you not caught any fish? Friends. Jesus calls you friend. And until you are a friend of Christ. Until he calls you friend, you cannot be a friend. You will use people, you will spin people, you will bless people so you can get blessed. Until you are, until you know Christ as your Lord and Savior and your friend, you cannot be a friend. Even to unbelievers. You would treat them as projects, right? Oh, you don't want to believe? Peace. My unbelieving friends know that what, no matter what, even if they reject Christ for a million years, I ain't going nowhere. I will not give up on you. That is a friend. And that's the kind of friendship I experience with Christ. You spread whatever is deepest in your heart. And you can only love others according to the love that you have been loved by. Jesus died not because we are lovely or good or we're starting to improve, but to make us lovely to make us good, and to make us want Jesus, to be more like Jesus. Jesus, we forget he's a good friend, the ultimate friend. Let us, let us go to Jesus right now. Let us pray.